Let's welcome Pastor Steve up. God bless him. And Anne, can we can we invite you up at the same time just to say, uh, would you could you help me uh, introduce Anne yourself and give him a hand, everyone. Let's all stand. Give him a hand. I first went to Thailand with these guys uh, 13 years ago. I went to Thailand and we we bought a big generator. I don't know if you remember that, but we bought a huge generator that they took four hours to climb up a mountain back up into the Pokhoran people. I think anyway. And, and but it was 13 years ago, and you've you've been there many times since. But you are now there full time. You're back on furlough here in Australia. We want to hear what you got to say. But please introduce yourself. Give it up for these guys. Thanks, guys. As Phil said, we went to Thailand two years ago, and we've been doing uh, all kinds of different things over there. Some of it I'll talk about tonight. But uh, this is my magnificent wife and sexy.com. And if you don't know what that means, you'll have to ask someone who was in the meeting this morning. But uh, one of the things that we've, we've actually been doing over there as well is been endeavouring to build a business that uh, will supply our personal needs so that we can release all the, all the money that comes in from churches and other supporters. We can just release all of that into ministry. So it's not buying fried rice for us. You know, it's, it's, it's really... Renting, renting auditoriums and getting gear to do some youth outreach stuff as well. You know, we've been doing this because, let's face it, let's face it, you could slip us five bucks and we, we'd receive that with gratitude. It'd be fantastic. You know, it really would. And uh, one of the things that we're trying to develop with youth groups is is a dollar, Pastor Phil, a dollar for Jesus and getting youth groups to say, we're going we're gonna to put in a dollar a month for the kingdom of heaven, for, for missions, each child, you know, each, each young person. And so that way, that way there's, no, there's no, no impact on the church's mission budget at all. You know, it's something the young people can give. But, but I mean, you could, you could slip a dollar or five dollars, you know, and it'd be great. We'd really, we'd, we'd receive it. And you'd be blessed. But if you bought that, you're doing the same thing and going away with a necklace. I mean, we just think that's a better deal. Honestly, we really do. And so uh, that, that's why we bring it around and we, we make it available. It's also one of the other great things is that uh, we actually get to know the people that makes this stuff and we get to share the gospel with them, which is, which is really fantastic. Thanks, babe. I, uh, I, I can, I've just got a little bit of time tonight. It was really good because Pastor Phil started to preach the message and I got a bit concerned that, that I was just going to have to tap dance or something because the message was gone. But we're going to go to John chapter 4, that scripture. <laughs> but that's where we're going. If we can get that up, John chapter 4. You know the story. Jesus meets the woman at the well. And uh, he tells her everything she's ever done. She thinks it's fantastic. She says, we know the Christ is going to come. And uh, one day, you know, and Jesus says, I am the one. I am he that's speaking to you. So she gets all excited and she runs back into town flat strap and she says, come and see a man who told me everything I ever did. Could this be the Christ? And then the next, the next couple of verses are some of my favorite verses in, in the whole Bible. And it's where Jesus is talking to his disciples. They came back. They're a bit puzzled. Jesus is talking to a Samaritan woman. He's not supposed to talk to women. He's not supposed to talk to Samaritans. But he's doing this stuff and they just, they just don't get it. How many of you are glad that the first apostles didn't get Jesus? It gives us a lot of scope to work with, right? Because sometimes we just don't get 
what Jesus is doing. And, and I feel good about that. I feel if, the, if Peter, the rock of the church, didn't know what Jesus was doing, in the times when I don't know what's going on, I feel much better about myself. But they didn't know what was, Jesus was doing. And, and I love this because Jesus is there at the well and the disciples are around him and he's saying, I've got meat and food and drink. I've got stuff to eat and do that you don't know anything about. And they're going, what? Did, did somebody else get him? A, who got him some dinner? Did somebody get him a pie while we were out in town? What's going on? But, but what was happening? Jesus says, look, lift up your eyes. Lift up your eyes and look at the fields. They're already ripe for harvest. And I can, I can tell you what was going on. Jesus is looking over the top of the heads of the disciples. And he's seeing the Samaritans coming out through the, through the grain fields. And he's saying, lift up your heads, boys. The fields are already ripe for a harvest. And, and it was then that the Samaritans came to him. And he began to talk to him. And then that, that uh, many Samaritans believed, it says there in verse 39, from that town, believed in him because of the woman's testimony. He told me everything I ever done. But then, then it goes on to say, they said, Jesus, will you stay with us for a couple of days? And so he stayed a bit longer and he taught them and he, he would have prayed for them and healed them and, and did all kinds of stuff. And then it says, they said to the woman, we no longer believe just because of what you said. Now we have heard for ourselves. And, and, uh, and I love this part. And we know. How many of you know tonight? You've not just heard, but you know. And I'm not talking about, I'm not talking about a knowing like, you know, you know where Wyong is. I'm not talking about that kind of knowing. I'm talking about a knowing in your heart that is so real that wild horses couldn't drag it out of you. That, that the threat of death couldn't get it out of your heart. That, that even going through a dark place, a difficult time, would not shake you from it. We know that he is the saviour of the world. You know, tonight I want to talk to you very briefly about not being a second-hand Christian. When I was 14, uh, it was Christmas time. I remember it very clearly. I used to love Christmas because my favourite uncle and aunt would come down from Newcastle. We lived in Sydney. And every year we would wait. You know, they, they, it was a long time and he always used to get frustrated because every time he came to Sydney there was a new one-way street. That, that The last time he was here he used to drive down it one way but now he's got to drive down it the other way. So he was forever getting lost coming down. And so he always was late. You know, we'd, we'd be there from about 10 o'clock and around 11.30, Uncle Alan would drive in, you know, with, with the ute. And, and one day, he, he's coming down, Uncle Alan's coming down the street. I saw the car. And in the back it was the ute. Uh, sorry, it was a trailer. And in the back was a bike. See, and I just kind of thought, this could be my bike. This could be a bike, you know. Because I had some friends who'd gotten some bikes. And, and I had two friends. One's got, one friend's name was Steve, which was really cool because his name was really easy to remember because it was the same as mine. And uh, he, his last name was Wright. So his initials were SW, which made it really cool because my initials are SW too. So, so we, we, we connected on that, that deep level of having the same initials. And, um, and then I had another friend named Ross Taylor. Now, Ross had a dragster. Anybody remember dragsters? I don't know why having a bike that had something called a sissy bar was popular. A sissy bar. Yeah. I know, it was cool, but like, Pastor Phil, a sissy bar. You know, sissy was not something you wanted to identify with, really, was it? But it was, it was a sissy bar. And it, it had like a padded head thing at the back, you know that? And, and this thing had, had uh, streamers hanging out of the handlebars. Remember those? And it had flipping gears. 
Ten years. Well, this was a long time ago, Pastor Phil. This was even before we went to Thailand. This was 1970. We couldn't count to ten in those days. We could only go as far as three. But, uh, but he had a dragster. And my other friend, I was talking to, uh, to Frank. Where's Frank? He's here somewhere. He's out the back. He's out the back. We, we were trying to work out what this bike was called. Because how many of you have seen The Wonder Years? You know the show The Wonder Years? You know at the beginning of The Wonder Years, Kevin's riding a bike? It's one of those. You know, like ordinary bikes had flat top things. You know, the, the bar across the top that if you slipped off the seat, boys, you could really hurt yourself. You know, you just had, if you came off the pedal, it was dangerous. Girls' bikes weren't as cool, but they were a lot safer for that reason. But, but this, was, this was a red bike. That was cool. And instead of having a flat bar, it had a bar that curved from just under the handlebars all the way down to the back wheel. Man, it looked like it was going fast and it was just parked out the back. And it was red and it had chrome on it and it had three gears as well. Like, none of these, these ones were like coming out of the handlebar thing, you know? And and just kind of straight back into the back hub. None none of these multi-cogs that get dirty and break. Just straight in. It was was unreal. So I'm about to get my bike. And And I'm looking forward. I'm 14 years old. And I'm looking forward to it. And my uncle pulls up with this bike and I look at it. The best thing I could say about this bike, it was blue. Because I really like blue. It was a really nice colour, shade of light blue. But it was it was like a twenty-eight inch bike. And you know the you know the racing bikes that have got the those kind of round handlebars? You, you know those? In the old days, the racing bikes, something like that? Well, before they were racing bikes, in the old and olden days, like my, my, my dad's time, they didn't have the bars bent down so you could be going fast. They had them bent up, like right up the top. With the, with the brake levers right on top. Anybody ever seen that? Probably in a museum or some really old book. You know, well, that's what my bike looked like. And it was, it looked like you were standing still when you're going down a hill at 50 miles an hour. It was that uncool. And, uh, and where, where my friend's bike had chrome, my bike had silver frost. Anybody remember silver frost? Silver frost is a, it comes in a can, and, and when you when you got something that's old and scabby and rusty that used to be chrome, you, you rub it back a bit and you give it a coat of silver frost, and it tells the world that this shiny thing used to be old and rusty and scabby and in fact still is old and rusty and scabby underneath. It's just got a silver veneer on the outside. That's what it tells you, you know. So I'm riding this bike down the street, and you know people are going, "That's <laughs> silver frost, cool." Unbelievable, But that wasn't the worst part. There was still more. This bike was a fixed-wheel bike. Anybody know what a fixed-wheel bike is? Fixed-wheel is the, is the original bike that they use, and they still use them. You know, you know when they, they do that thing where they rate two round a, a velodrome track, the pursuit? Right, well, they use fixed-wheel bikes, so, so there's no coasting. You know how you, you're going downhill and you put your feet sideways like that and just... Down the, and it makes that clicking noise at the back. I love that because I'm basically a fairly lazy guy. And, uh, and, and my favourite position on a bike was downhill because I didn't actually have to pedal. But with this bike, 
because the wheel is fixed, the, the cog is fixed, there's no coasting section thing. And so the, the pedals just kept going round and round all the time. It was like constant four-wheel drive, you know. You couldn't turn it off. And uh, my friend Stephen Wright, you know, SW, same initials, he lived on the top of the biggest hill in our, in our suburb. And uh, I couldn't ride up that hill because it was, you know, I was basically a lazy guy. So I used to, I just had to push the bike up because it was just too hard. I didn't have three gears. I had no gears. And, um, but when I came back down, the only way I could come down was pedal really, really fast and I wasn't that good or stick your feet out at 45 degrees and let the, the things just go around like that. Which I've got to say was not a great deal of control of the bike. Now, the other thing that was really bad about the bike was that it had metal pedals, you know, with serrated edges on the top. You know, it looked like somebody got two pinking shears and made a pedal out of it, you know. Now, it was good in one sense that your foot didn't really slip off because it was serrated. But it was bad in another sense because I was going through three pairs of Dunlop volleys a year because they just cut straight across the bottom. You know, you didn't want to wear thongs because they—I mean—they'd be gone in a in, a, in an hour, and you'd be have lacerations on your foot. But that wasn't the worst part. The worst part of the bike was that, you know, in a wheel they have ball bearings, real bikes. This one didn't have as many ball bearings as it probably should have, and so what would happen is, you know, how the wheel's supposed to be kind of vertical. As I would ride down the street, my my wheel would start to go sideways. And, and so it'd start to go like this. Which was okay because I could rectify it simply by swinging my foot out and kicking the wheel and it'd kick it back up vertical. And so I'd ride along for a while till it starts to wobble. And you know what, I could tell when it starts to wobble because it'd hit the brake caliper and it'd go pss, 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 pss. And uh, when I was going really fast, it went pss, 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 pss. And then it wouldn't pss, it'd just eh. And then I'd throw my foot out and kick it. And so it worked pretty well until one day I was coming down the hill and I threw my foot out to kick it and it kind of missed. And I went in between the spokes with my, my foot. And uh, all I can say was it happened really quickly. I went from that to looking up at the sky with my bike above me. From 35 kilometres an hour to nothing in just a split second. How many of you know a second-hand bike is not as good as a new one? You know, I, I, I rode that bike for probably just, just a couple of years, and, and that was it. I'd had enough. And it went in the backyard. My brothers kind of did the best that they could at riding it, but they didn't even like it. It just wasn't as good. It wasn't as satisfying. And, you know, a second-hand relationship with Jesus is nowhere near as satisfying as a first-hand one. You know, these guys said to this woman, you know, we believe the first time because of what you said. And really, all of us start there, don't we? That's where we start in faith. We start with somebody else telling us about this, this person that they've met who's changed their life. I mean, I, I was uh, hearing some testimonies today from, uh, from Rosalind, is it? From Ross, who, who, who two years ago, two years ago didn't know Jesus. But now she does. And, and, her, and her daughter's leading worship. You know, two years ago, she wasn't in church. And tonight she's leading worship. See, come and, come and meet somebody that I've met. He's changed my life. Could it be the Christ? All of us have come that way. 
in a church. And, and we, then we begin to go through this process where we begin to hear him for ourselves. And hopefully we come to that day where we say, I know, I know now that he's the saviour of the world. But I want to I talk about three things and then I'm done. How are we going for time? I'm good, I'm doing really good. You know, to know him as the saviour of the world is a great thing. But I'd like to suggest to you tonight that it's impossible to know him as the saviour of the world until we first know him as the saviour of our life. See, we can't really know him as the one that saves the world until we know him as the one who saves my life. One of the things that, uh, that we, we do when we go to Thailand is we, we go and we communicate the gospel to people that have never heard about Jesus. See, I could never do that if I didn't know him as the saviour of my life. I could not say to those people with all honesty and integrity, this is the saviour of the world, Jesus Christ, if I did not know him as the saviour of my life. If, if I had not had a profound impact from him to myself in my life, I could never communicate that to them. With honesty, I couldn't look them in the eye and say, I want to tell you about Jesus who saved my life. But see, I can do that. I can talk about that because he saved my life. But really, we've even got to go deeper than that. See, we've got to go deeper than that. We can't really talk about him being the saviour of our life until we know him as the saviour of our every moment. See, the saviour of our every moment. See, Jesus just doesn't want to be someone that we know on a Sunday, that we come and touch base, that we come and high-five on a Sunday morning. Hey, Jesus, how you doing? Good to see you. Thought I'd come around your house again. Love it here. Love the praise. Love the worship. I love giving an offering. I love all the stuff that we do here. I'll see you again next Sunday. See, no, no. He, he wants to be there for us. You know, one of the things that happened this year was uh, you may have experienced a few financial problems this year in the world. You know, things like banks collapsing. It wasn't a big deal, you know. Um, thousands of people out of work. Yeah, just a small price stuff. But we, it impacted us in Thailand. And we had, to, we had to deal. I mean, this message, Phil, came out of a season in Thailand that was difficult for us. In July, our son came to visit us. Uh, he's now in England. He's a youth pastor there. And, and when he came to us in July, the Australian dollar would buy... 32 Thai baht, which was which great. It would buy 97 American cents, which is as high as it's ever been. It's never been higher than that. And so it was great. We could buy lots of fried rice with our dollar. We could buy petrol over there, really good. It, everything was cool. It was excellent. By September, the dollar had gone from 32, 32 baht to the dollar to 20.5 baht to the dollar. Now you might say, yeah, well, so what? That'd be like me coming to you and saying, look, we're having some financial problems at the moment. Um, is it okay if we give you a 30% pay cut for the next so many years? And what we had to do is we had to go to God and say, God, we need you to help us in this. Because it was, it was hard, it was difficult. I mean, to be honest, we didn't feel it, really. I mean, we didn't feel it. Like it, it wasn't like we were, were under oppression or, or we were being stoned, you know, or any of that kind of... A, it was more a mental thing. 
It was more a fear thing. God, what are we going to do? God, how is this going to play out? And we had to go and find him. And, and, and I love that, that scripture that Pastor Phil read out tonight because it's the scripture that God taught me to, brought me to. And I had to come to the, to the absolute knowing. Remember I said, we know that he is the savior of the world. I had to come to the absolute knowing that my financial security was not based in the Bard exchange rate. It was not based on what's happening in the financial situation of the world. But my security, my financial wherewithal comes from His glory, His riches in glory. See, I had to come to the absolute conviction of that. And, and, and then we can just go forward. And, uh, and the, the real blessing for that came, came a little bit later on because uh, at the beginning of the year, we lost one of our supporting churches. You know, it, it was kind of a... We knew it would happen at some stage, but it was still 500 bucks a month. It was a lot of money. And, uh, and so I, I'd already won that fight. You know, I'd already, I'd already won the battle. My, my financial security was not based in our supporting churches or, or any of that kind of stuff. Our financial security was his riches in glory. So I was cool, but it was different for Anne. She, see, she hadn't fought that battle yet. And she had to go in and fight that battle. And begin to say, God, you know, we're in, we're in trouble here. I, I need you. And, uh, and, and God, tell, tell them what, the, what, what God said to you, babe, about faith. It was really interesting because, I mean, we've, we've walked, you know, been Christians a long time, our whole marriage. And uh, we've trusted God. But I'm also a person who tries to make things happen. It's, it's, it's the way I'm built. And then you get to a place where you can't make it happen anymore. And uh, so anyway... I was concerned. I was really worried because, you know, the money dropped, some port went down. We had a little bit of money left over from our house. We put in investment. It lost uh, like a, a third of its value as well. It was just like everywhere we went, like it was like money was going through our hands. But anyway, I don't want to take too it was long. Going but our hands yeah, it was like it was like it, it was like you could have burnt it. It was gone. You know, it was like this is not a good feeling. But anyway. I, I had to get with God, and I did it. I One night I thought, I've got to go in the bedroom. This is eating me up. This is crazy. And I, I went in there, and I spent uh, quite a long time, just began to pray. I told God how I felt. I told him I was worried. I was concerned. And I began to say, God, I, I don't know what to do. I, don't know, I, don't, I can't do anything. I can't do anything. And I felt like the Holy Spirit said to me, uh, talk to me about faith. When he began to talk to me about faith, he said, Anne, you can't have faith, true faith, unless you know without a shadow of a doubt that I love you. And I realized that I really had to settle on a new level how much God loved me. And I was able to settle that in my heart. And I was able to come through that. And the next morning I was like, you know what? God loves me whether we can buy food today or not. It does not matter. I just knew in... Stephen often uses this term. He says, I know in my Noah. I knew in my Noah. I've got an amazing God that loves me. And that same God loves you too. It doesn't matter what goes on, how sick we get, how tough it gets. No one can convince me my God doesn't love me. Anyway, the very next day, I've got to tell you, the very next day I won the battle. And uh, we... Just circumstances I don't have time for. But uh, I was introduced to this American couple. The American couple needed someone to help them buy some stuff. 
buy some stuff and they'd pay me a commission. Is God good or what? Yeah, come on. See, see, sometimes we've got to let it get out of our control so that he can become the saviour of our every moment. You know, I encourage you tonight, folks. Some of you, you know, one of the, one of the, the, the really interesting things about being in Thailand, sad but interesting, is uh, when we went to the first couple of youth camps, Phil, they didn't do an altar call for salvation. And I'm freaking out. I'm going, what's going on? How come we're not doing an altar call for salvation? And they said, oh, these are all church kids. And I've been in church all my life. I know what church kids are like. You know, I was, there's some church kids I wouldn't trust with, um, with the key to my house, you know, because I'd come back and it'd, it'd all be gone. And, uh, and I know that, that teenagers, teenagers go through a series of decisions for Christ. And so uh, the interesting thing was I, I said to these guys, we, we did it we did a, uh, at, at the second extreme youth rally, I was doing the worship seminar. And at the end of my, my workshop, I said, look, I just want to stop now. And I, I wanted to give you my testimony. How I, you know, I grew up going to church and uh, I sang in the choir, but I didn't really know Jesus as my saviour. And there came a time where, where I had to know him as a personal personal saviour, someone who personally comes and saves my life. And, uh, and I said, maybe there's some of you tonight, you've grown up in church, you, you, you believe there's a God because you, you've seen your, your parents and all that kind of gear, but, but you don't really know him and have a personal relationship with him. 30%, 30 out of 100 said, Pastor Steve, that's me. I don't have a personal relationship with Jesus. And so 30% got saved. And tonight, there may be some of you, maybe, maybe you've grown up all your life in church, and you know Jesus is the Savior of the world, but you're not real sure he's the Savior of your life because at this point in time, you're not allowing him to be the Savior of your every moment. And tonight, tonight God wants to say to you, I want you to come. Not, I don't want you to step up to a new level. You know, we're always having to step up to something. We're always, it's like we've got more required of us. You know, come on, it's time to, it's time to go up to a new level. And I, I think that's good. I like that because there's times we need to go up. But what I want to say to you tonight is tonight Jesus wants to come down to a deeper level in your life and become, become the one that's a savior of your every moment. What are you facing at the moment? Maybe you're like us. Maybe you're in the midst of this financial situation and you're saying, God, I don't know what's going to happen. Work's not good. The business is in trouble. You know, and, and, and you don't know what to do. You've done everything you can do. You've used the old arm of flesh as much. You've flexed it as best you can. And, and you don't know what's going to come. Can I recommend Jesus to you? See, can I recommend him to you? Can I recommend tonight, tonight the God Listen to this. I want to recommend to you tonight the God that was able to cause the sun to shine in Goshen when all of his Egypt was dark. Think about it. It's like, it's like I want to recommend to you the God that was able to cause the sun to shine on Wyong. On Gavlock, is that the name of the street? On, on Gavlock Street, right here, when everywhere else was in pitch dark. I'm talking so dark that you couldn't see the hand in front of your face. That God. The God that was able in a situation where Isaac was facing famine in the land. It says that Isaac stayed in Israel and he sowed that year, that year of famine. He sowed and reaped a hundredfold. Why? Because God is the saviour of our every moment. 
You know, in, uh, in I think 1969, 1970 maybe, Apollo 13 went to the moon. Everybody remember it? Seen the movie? Love that movie. My favorite scene, my absolute favorite scene, is, uh, is Ed Harris who played uh, Gene, whatever, I can't remember his name. He, he, he's there and he's overhearing a conversation between the head of NASA and the publicity guy who was a real weasel. And, and the, the weasel is saying to the, to the head of NASA, you know, this is going to be a, a, a publicity disaster for NASA. And Ed Harris hears it. This, this guy, Gene, a real guy, real, 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 based on a true story. And he stood up, adjusted his vest, and he said, with all due respect, sir, I believe that this could be our finest hour. See, when we know Jesus is our personal saviour, we can walk into the midst of absolute tragedy where everybody else is saying it's going down the gurgle, it's not going to do well. And we can just adjust our vest and say, with all due respect, I believe this could be our finest hour. See, I believe this could be the time when, when we take the gospel to more people than, than, than the world has ever seen. Because everything else that they're trusting in has become shaky and flaky. This could be our finest hour. Why don't we stand tonight and pray? Thank you, God. What does it mean to you when I say Jesus? Is it just a, a name that you attach with going to church? Maybe it's a name that you attach with the Christmas story. The baby in the manger. Maybe even the Easter, the Easter story that we're going to rehearse again in a few days. And you know that story well. For these people, these Samaritans, it was the name of a man that did some amazing things for a woman and they came out to hear him. But then they heard him. They heard his words. They experienced him in their own lives. And they said, it's not just because of what you said. We're no second-hand Christians. We've heard him for ourselves and we've come not just to believe, we've come to know that he's the saviour of the world because we've come to know him as the saviour of our lives. And we know him as the saviour of our lives because we've come to know him as the saviour of our every moment, our every challenge. Lord, we lift up our hands to you tonight, Jesus. We declare that your name is above every other name. God, we, we declare tonight that we do not serve the ankle-high God or the knee-high God. Lord, we don't even serve the waist-high God or the chest-high God. Father, we don't even serve the God who's shoulder-high or head-high. Lord, tonight we declare we serve the Most High God, who's far above, far above every name that can be named. And tonight, if you're here and you're with the sound of my voice, and you don't know Him as the Savior of your life, tonight you can know Him that way. And I would say, if you want to know him like that, you come down at the end of the service. I'm going to stay here. We can have a chat about it. But tonight, you might, you might not even go that deep with Jesus yourself. You know him. But you don't know him as a savior of your every moment. And you're facing some circumstances that are difficult. Tonight, just open up your heart and say, Jesus. Why don't we say it together, Jesus, I want to know you. 
as the Savior of my every moment. And, and this is my guarantee to you. As you begin to know Him in that way, you will never be afraid of anything ever again. Because you, you'll know there's nothing that's beyond His control. There's nothing that's beyond Him. Though we walk through the, the valley of the shadow of death, you are with us. And our delivery, you, you prepare a table for us in the midst of our enemies. Great is your name, Jesus. Great is your name and greatly to be praised. We bless you tonight, Lord God. Amen. That's fantastic, Steve. Thanks a bunch.